Thanks, Ian and Kath. Uh, friends, I'd love you to have open in front of you uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So if you've got a Bible there, maybe it's on your phone or an iPad or something like that, that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Um, big welcome. So if you're a visitor with us today, it's great to have you. My name's Graham, Minister here. Uh, it's um, great to have you along. We've had a, I feel like we've had a, I've had a big day already, actually. We started at 8 o'clock this morning and, um, at, at, a, at our 8 a.m. service. And I had to look after the... Um, I had to look after the music as well, but for the music at 8am is, is pressing play on a um, phone and it goes through a PA system, which you'd think would be simple, but no, I made it complicated. So complicated that we ended up having water music in the background during one song, flowing water. I've got no idea where that came from. <laughs> no idea. Um, anyway, I had to stop it by pulling the plug out, stop it and throwing the phone away, not quite, but tried that. And then at the end of the service, I wished everyone a Merry Christmas. So... <laughs> I'm glad to do now something I feel a bit more comfortable doing. Um, anyway, it's good to be together. Uh, and <laughs> I was thinking, and, and thanks, um, and Beck, Beck's our youth and children's pastor here, uh, so thanks for your um, uh, family spot a second ago. And I was afraid, I was worried there, Lockie, that you might be swapping your child for the Easter egg, <laughs> but I'm glad it was just the fishing lure, so all good. How about we pray, and then we uh, spend some time um, looking at actually 1 Corinthians 15 and, and that passage. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Uh, thank you, Lord, Lord God, for um, uh, this great day, happy day, that we celebrate, Lord Jesus, that you are alive today, you are reigning over all, you're sovereign over all things, and that we can trust you and we can trust your promises. So help us to focus on your word now, help us to understand a bit more about what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you ready? Christ is risen. Well done. Good job. So Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if you're a, if you're a Christian, it doesn't get more central than that. Uh, we stake it all on what happened on that first Easter Sunday. And 1 Corinthians 15 is key to our case. Uh, it was written early, so mid-50s AD, and for a purpose, which I think we get an idea of today in 1 Corinthians 15, and from an author who was a sceptic and turned into an eyewitness to the risen Lord Jesus. Now, if we compare the trustworthiness of 1 Corinthians with other ancient sources, well, let's just put it this way, much of what we know securely about the ancient world rests on less. But when he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul had no intention of it becoming some historical argument for the reliability of the resurrection of Jesus or some case that Christians would, would or a chapter even that the Christians would use for that because the Corinthians believed it already they believed it they believed in the resurrection of Jesus they were convinced you see and for us modern historians that's what we are right for us modern historians uh, 1 Corinthians 15 1 to 11 1 to 8 that area is a precious historical source document. It is. But for the church at Corinth, these verses, they were just a little bit embarrassing. You know, this part of the letter, it's a, it's a retelling of the basics. Yeah, 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 we got it. We got it. Yeah, we know. You know, it's a bit like being accepted into the conservatorium of music and the first thing they teach you is chopsticks. You know? <laughs> Imagine that. It's a bit embarrassing for them. The problem at Corinth, though, 
was not what they believed about Jesus. It was what they believed about believers. Their issue wasn't Jesus' resurrection. It was ours. Their problem wasn't believing in Jesus' resurrection. Sorry, their problem was believing in Jesus' resurrection and at the same time denying the resurrection of believers. Now, perhaps you're a bit like that as well. Yep, you know, yeah, I believe in Jesus' resurrection. Yeah, sort of why I'm here today. You know, I believe in it, true. Empty tomb, got it. He resumed life in a renewed but recognisable body, right? Yes, got it. Do you know, um, I was actually reading earlier this morning um, on the ABC um, website, uh, news website, and there's a, a Centre of Public Christianity had worked with McCrindle Research. Uh, they're two worthwhile organisations and did a survey on what people, and actually a number of things uh, about religious belief, even things like ghosts and that sort of stuff. You can look it up later on. But one of their questions was about who believed or how, how, how you believe, whether you believe, I should say, in the resurrection of Jesus. 23%, 23% said they were certain about the resurrection of Jesus. That's actually higher than I thought. Uh, 20% said it was possible. 28% said, I don't know. And the leftovers said um, they don't believe it. Uh, interesting statistics, aren't they? Uh, that was from a, a survey of, of, of um, uh, um, McCrindle Research put that on. But when it comes to our own resurrection... Jesus' promise of life after death, and what, what Christians just call heaven, um, well, we start to get a little bit vague. right? We, we get a bit circumspect. We're not sure what to say, what happens after we die. Our bodies sort of float up to heaven. Um, we'll be with God like our souls. Is that? Uh, it gets a bit like that. And I think the reason is because we've, we fear death. Because when, that's the reason why we fear death, I think, is because we're not sure what happens after it. But for the Apostle Paul, this disconnection between the resurrection of Jesus and the believer's resurrection makes no sense. You see, for Paul, the answer to the question of what will happen to us is embedded in what happened to Jesus. i say that again. It's really key. See, for Paul, the answer to, what, to the question of what will happen to us is embedded in what happened to Jesus. Jesus' resurrection was not a freak event, uh, a standalone miracle, or, a, or as one author put it, and I've got to take a breath for this, this is what he said, uh, here's something to stuff in your secular post-enlightenment pipe and smoke it, proof of the supernatural. Don't ask me to say it again, it'll be too hard. Um, no, I'll try it again. He, he says, here's something to stuff... It's, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> but it's, um, it, the resurrection was not a surprising end credit scene to the drama of Jesus' life the final box that had to be ticked type thing. It wasn't any of those things. If you've got your Bible open, have a look at... Actually, I've got it up on the screen. You can look up on the screen. Uh, chapter 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive. The first Easter Sunday was not an ending... It was a beginning. It was the first fruits. The first fruits imply a coming harvest. No farmer looks at a tree in the early spring when the first fruit appears and says, well, I guess that's the end then. They don't do that. 
First fruits are not the end, they're the start epistle, they're the bang going off. Jesus, on that first day of the week, walked out of his tomb. In doing so, he put in motion the, uh, the resurrection harvest. The Bible tells us what happened to him will happen to believers. And with us, a, a whole new world, a new creation, the Bible says. And again, shorthand, heaven. Aslan, if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, fan, Aslan is off the stone table. The reign of evil has been dealt with its death blow. The son is claiming the inheritance given to him by his father. And the forces of evil have as much chance of stopping him as a flea has of holding back the torrent of water from a burst Warragamba Dam. Jesus wins. Look at Jesus and you see the believer's future. If you're a Christian person today, look at Jesus, you see your future. But our friends at Corinth, well, they were not looking at Jesus in this way. They look at the orchard and see a peach and they say, great, a peach. I wonder what the rest of the fruit will be on that tree. Uh, Paul responds, you idiots, they're peaches. It's a peach tree. And when we see the resurrection of Jesus and say, a resurrection, great. I wonder what God would do with us. What does Paul say? You idiots. In love, of course. You idiots, he's going to do the same thing he did with Jesus. First fruits. And that's the argument, that's the promise of 1 Corinthians 15. But if you're a Christian person, a believer in Jesus' resurrection and ours, what difference does that make? What difference does that make in your life today? That's what I spent a few minutes thinking about. Over in Ecclesiastes, it's about the middle of the Bible, Old Testament, the, the preacher starts his, uh, well, it's a bit like a sermon in some ways, starts it by saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now the Hebrew word is chebel. Say it with me, no, don't say it with me. We can't spit on people, it's COVID. Um, can't do that. But uh, it, that's the Hebrew word and it means, well, meaningless. Uh, it means vanity translates as, as mist or vapour, which of course is... We know too well in Robbo, don't we? That's a great picture of Robbo train track there. Um, the point is that life is just like that. That's what the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. Life is misty. It's, it's vaporous. And it goes quickly. It's hard to hold on to. And it's impossible to build on. Now, sure, we can find dignity in a life that accepts grace and receives, other, receives rather than takes. But in the end, death swallows up everything. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul cuts to the chase with what most people say in the face of life's vaporous nature. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do what you can now, because this is your one shot. That's the, the pattern of life is simple, really. It's life, then death. That's the pattern of life. It's the lifestyle of a world without hope. And yes, it often looks like a lot of fun. Like whether it's the more out there expressions of eating and drinking and dancing and partying with chemically enhanced moods or the pursuit of, uh, of, of pleasure or the more respectable life of accumulation or of diligently building a life of comfort, security, possessions, family and a killer super. Whatever it is, those things, yeah, they don't look like fun, 
But inside each hides a dark and dirty secret. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Here's how my friend um, Rory Shiner put it in his book. Uh, it's a great, great opening line. This is the little book there. It's a great, great small book, really excellent. Um, and I love this opening line. Death is like a cruel mafia boss, always getting in the way of, oh, sorry, always getting a slice of the action. It's a great little line. As the experiences roll on and the accumulation grows, death is right there reminding us who is really in charge. Why do you have to party hard now? Why do you have to grab that sex, that promotion, that money now, that opportunity now? Why are people in your workplace so willing to sacrifice other people for the sake of their careers? Because death is in charge. Always reminding us, if you don't grab it now, you never will. That's the message of death. Friends, that's the pattern of a world without hope. This is a pattern of a world living in fear, the fear of death. It's, it, it's joyful on the outside, but there's, there's, it's despairing at its core. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, because of the resurrection of Jesus, the first fruits of what is to come, he says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, o, where O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? See, death tried really hard to swallow up Jesus, but it got swallowed up in the process. The sting of death is that we die as sinners and go to meet our maker who hates sin. But now, by the love of God, the death of Jesus has taken away sin. He's died as our substitute. Remember that? And so, yeah, we'll feel death, but like the bite of a snake without the venom, there is no sting. All that is left is the victory of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection, our, our resurrection, life after death, brings online then a new lifestyle with a new pattern, a new future, a new, a sure and certain hope. See, life then death is replaced with death then life. Let me quote to you, my friend, again. Resurrection makes possible another lifestyle, death now, death to the things that have no future, in other words. Death now because life then. If death doesn't win, if our graves are not rubbish dumps but new creation gardens, then we can die now to live then. We can put aside selfish ambition. We can sacrifice career or reputation. We can make space for others. You see, Christianity at its heart is a rebel's religion really is. It's an invitation to give death, well, a rude gesture and live a life that refuses its demands. What's the worst you can do, death? Hey, bury us? Remember the time you tried that with Jesus? How'd that work out for you, hey? <laughs> Paul concludes his chapter uh, by saying this. He writes, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. In some translations it says steadfast, be steadfast. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So where do you conform to that old pattern of life then death? Where do you, where do you conform to that? Perhaps it is in your working life. Are you aware of situations where you are grabbing and grasping, where you are stepping over people to get what you want? 
and let, you know, let's be real, hey, uh, where you've fallen into thinking that if it's not yours now, it'll never be. Got to get it now, even at the expense of, at the expense of others. Maybe in your personal life there are points where you're tempted to grab or are actually grabbing that, that the sex that you can have now rather than waiting in faithfulness. Maybe you can see it in your everyday life, your, your approach to, to food, uh, the way you binge on Netflix, um, in the way you do the dishes aggressively, resentfully, compulsively. Maybe there are patterns of accumulation and, cons- and consumption that are clearly being played out on a life-then-death template. The gospel of the risen Lord Jesus says more than don't do that. It says more than that. It actually liberates us to live differently. You get to break the pattern. Because in Christ, as we trust in him and his promises, you've been included in that great rebellion against death. Now you can say to death and the lifestyle that it dictates, I don't buy it. No death, I don't buy it. Now I'm dancing to a different tune. I'm going to give myself fully to the work of the Lord, to quote verse 58. That's the sort of work which contributes directly to the kingdom of God. Uh, Give yourselves fully to it, wholeheartedly, single-minded devotion, with everything you've got. It's the work of the Lord that is an investment in the new creation. Jesus talks about uh, treasures in heaven, building up for yourself treasures in heaven. Sowing seeds to be harvested in the new creation. Having that gospel conversation, we talk about that a lot at church here. In other words, the work of sharing the news of Jesus with friends. It's the work of singing and encouraging in the body of Christ. Lifting your voices to the one, as we sang a moment ago. It's the work of serving in kids' church, leading a Bible study. It's the work of simply being an encouragement to others in their life with Christ. That work is not in vain. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, this is the one that, um, that uh, I think Kath read this one, Matthew 28. No, Ian read it. There you go. Thanks, Ian. I don't know if you noticed, but twice the disciples were told, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, no doubt the scene was a confronting one. Fair enough. The guy they had just seen crucified was now standing in front of them alive. Fair enough. I'd be scared too. Absolutely. This was a confronting scene. But the fear, of Jesus, the fear that Jesus speaks of, I think, is more than what they've just seen in that moment. Jesus tells them, don't be afraid of death. That's what he tells them. Don't be afraid of trusting him. Don't be afraid to believe God's promises. That's what the resurrection means. Friends, that's what Easter Sunday means. That death has lost its sting. Death is no longer, has no victory that we can trust in the promise of life after death because Jesus is alive today. How about I pray for us and then we'll continue our service. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray that for anyone here today who hasn't put their trust in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to take a moment now to sense the gravity of what this day means of the seriousness of what this day means, that one day, of course, we will all die. And 1 Corinthians 15, 32 gets it right. For tomorrow we die. One day we'll die. 
And Lord, we, that, that, that's an issue that we all face. And so Lord, today we pray that today would be a day where we realise that you are alive and that we too can be like you after death. And Lord, we're the first, that you are the first fruits of uh, what's to come. Father, we thank you that you, Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross for our sin. We thank you that you rose from the grave. We thank you that we have life with you and life forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.